This week in the parish of bourses and market structure is the sun rising back-to-back for LCH Japan. LME's chairman Gay Huey Evans has gone as Oliver Wyman reports on the nickel nightmare. Baffin biffs DB1. It's the naughty boy step for Eurex and Clearstream as Germany's federal regulator attempts a new post-wirecard credo. And after a lot of legal debate, the sheriffs have taken SBF's stick in Robin Hood. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 176. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events and happenings of the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. And let's drop back into bit carnage this week. The ongoing crypto winter of nightmare Siberian proportions. In bit carnage this week, of course, all the news and analysis was in Exchange Invest, the subscriber daily of the bourse business, where there were job losses aplenty, nearly 950 alone at Coinbase. Coinbase, their stock now being down, I do believe, something like 92% from the all-time high, while Coinbase also copped a $100 million fine for poor anti-money laundering and know-your-client procedures. Meanwhile, central bankers demonstrated a definitive dislike of DeFi and a sense of bearishness is pervading Binance in many quarters. Although CZ, the curiously charismatic boss of Binance, seems to be urgently saying 4444444 to all such fear, uncertainty and doubt as he tries to detract it. One Definitive score this week, Sheriff 1, Hood 0. In what amounted to a gauntlet drop of stunning proportions, the US government have willed Sam Bankman-Fried's counsel to live up to their previous threat to abandon their charge to a public defender. Then again, a public defender, one might argue, would be much more in keeping with Sam Bankman-Fried's and his parents lobbying for others to that effect. Thus were every man, his dog, and his counsel appeared to be making a claim to the Robin Hood stake which SBF acquired with funds he garnered directly via FTX. The Department of Justice of the United States of America has seized the $465 million stake. Interestingly, DOJ was reckoning that as there are competing claims to the stake, clearly it's best the government takes care of it. That would appear to have vexed even the FTX bankruptcy team, who note that apparently DOJ have seized bank account assets in the FTX case too. Now, I'm not much in favour of the government, whether it's the US or elsewhere, owning anything much, and generally government suzerainty of assets tends, I think, to be a bad move over the long term. But at the same time, DOJ ought to have custody of these particular Robin Hood assets when the alternative is paying lawyers to defend SPF against what look like indefensible charges. 
Quite how can I feel such an arrogant, one might also say. It's almost crypto-bro-like swagger towards damning SBF in this fashion to a public defender, in the manner which his own parents would have been eager lobbyists for others. Well, let's try a story that came up this week via the Business Times Online. FTX court filings reveal the exchange burned through $40 million on luxury hotels and flights. Gosh, we've already discussed some of the beach bar excesses before discussing Christmas in Exchange Invest's daily newsletter, but that $40 million spend in total took place in just nine months. Put in perspective, no wonder FTX were all over sponsoring and paying for lavish rooms at FIA events. The best Boca bedrooms still look cheap by comparison to the run-rate hotel average in the Bahamas for the FTX team. I'm beginning to wonder, is the Bahamas in danger of suffering a recession just due to SBF's largesse disappearing? And indeed, what's even more exciting is this $40 million expenditure took place while FTX's Bahamas supposedly operational HQ didn't actually have any true P&L. Well, any income or profit. It had clearly prodigious quantities of L, $40 million just in food and beverage and accommodation and flights alone. Meanwhile, in BitCarnage, Forbes has noted that its, and I hasten to add, 20% shareholder Binance is bleeding assets. Apparently, they reckon by their analysis, $12 billion has gone out the door in less than 60 days. The article itself had a curious history. It wasn't just that it was being dissed by the four crowd following CZ's propaganda tweets, but actually it was fully 404'd by the Forbes website for some quite substantial period of time. Fortunately, it miraculously reappeared and it was allegedly a technological faux pas. However, given the fact that at this juncture in time, overall faith and confidence in crypto everywhere is remarkably low and conspiracy theories are running amok, it was, to put it mildly, a very unfortunate moment for the Forbes website to have such a downturn, particularly given Forbes' 20% shareholder being Binance. Back to the world of legacy markets and real exchanges as opposed to their crypto virtual brethren. The LME is making massive board changes. The chairman has quit in the wake of the nickel nightmare. Gay Huey Evans is stepping down as LME chairman and the board has begun a global search for a new chair and will update the market in due course. That's quite a surprise that Gay Huey Evans is to serve just a single term following Sir Brian Bender's retirement in December 2019. Although it ought to serve LME as it seeks to place clear water behind it over the whole nickel nightmare itself. It's a tough gig chairing LME. You need to know a lot about metals in a way that is perhaps more product specific than many other exchange chairing roles. Two directors are being appointed. Martin Frankel, former S&P Global Platz MD and Global Head of Energy at CME Group, and Pierre Varey, who was formerly CEO of Constellium. Interesting that LME has added two strong independent commodity practitioners to the board. That makes sense as the exchange moves forward. Also interesting that Hong Kong exchanges are talking about their global commodity strategy. That would seem to suggest LME is going to be staying with HKEX under its ownership umbrella for quite some time to come. 
Then we got the report after these resignations, the independent review of events in the nickel market in March 2022 by Oliver Wyman. The nickel nightmare is done and by the looks of it potentially getting dusted on several legal angles for now at least. However, with rumblings of discontent and many injured parties, LME now begin a major drive to rebuild confidence in the market armed with this Oliver Wyman report. The chairman and head of the clearinghouse have already gone as part of this process of rejuvenation. Matt Chamberlain, the CEO, has an uphill struggle, but with a decent coalition to push forward, there remains a bright future for the exchange once some reorganisation has been effected. Albeit first, of course, the regulatory powers that be will need to decide what their next moves are. I suppose they will find a means toward relative leniency, but at the same time, LME will need to use that opportunity to make a serious move towards the future and break the frustrating cycle of crises past. Over in the land of the rising sun, well, the endless back-to-backing of swap transactions in Japanese yen looks as if it might be coming to some form of a hiatus, at least. LCH are looking at a plan to create LCH Japan in a new fight for the global clearing model. That's going to be very interesting to see how that develops. Meanwhile, Germany's Baffin have told the CCP of Deutsche Börse, Eurex and its CSD arm Clearstream to clean up organisational deficiencies. This is rather seismic stuff, not per se because of the problems it actually found, but at least it suggests Baffin, the German federal regulator, have moved on post-Wirecard to being a federal regulator willing to regulate the markets. Albeit, it's still deeply embarrassing for Eurex and Clearstream, who failed, as expected, to manage the media narrative at least. Nonetheless, encouraging to see Baffin fighting back after the embarrassment of the Wirecard fiasco. Plaudits to Nasdaq, they're celebrating another year as the leading exchange for listings in the EU. But at the same time... Huge plaudits to TISE, the International Securities Exchange, as it's called, which is the Channel Islands Stock Exchange. They're entering their anniversary year with record numbers of listings on the book. They had 956 newly listed securities last year, which is only slightly below the record 1,111 new listings during 2021. Combined, that over 2,000 tally brings the TISE in its anniversary year to a total of 4,020 securities. What an incredibly epic achievement in 25 years of operation, which will be marked formally in October 2023. As a special purpose listings venue, Tice remains the market leader, nobody outside the exchange parish, indeed any, even many people within the exchange parish, have ever heard of. Congratulations all round to the Channel Islands on this excellent achievement once again. It was a busy week for new markets in the parish. All the information was an exchange invest daily. The newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, let's look at some edited highlights. We have a fascinating new exchange, the Shenzhen Trading Exchange for Semiconductors and Electronics. That looks like a very, very interesting prospect, as indeed many in the media are musing on just how deep the crisis may be at the moment for China, sourcing their semiconductors and electronics in a time of ongoing COVID, now that they've abandoned the zero COVID strategy in China. Elsewhere, competition in the Polish power market, PGE, a massive Polish energy utility, they're setting up a power 
trading platform to rival the Warsaw Stock Exchange subsidiary TGE. And finally, in new markets this week, Indonesia is looking to launch a national crypto exchange during the course of this year. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In deals, it was a busy week for deals in the parish. All of them were, of course, reported in Exchange Invest Daily. Let's just look at three that were highlighted in the water cooler of the bourse business. Thomson Reuters, they've completed their acquisition of SurePrep LLC. TMX Group in Canada, they've announced a strategic investment in Vetify. And S&P Global have enhanced their KY3P risk management capabilities with acquisition of True Sight Solutions, LLC. Don't forget, you've still got the opportunity to acquire a copy of my most recent book, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. If you're looking for some reading to try and explain where markets are and where they're going next, very useful as it does have remarkable perspective, even if it was written before the crypto winter, which it actually managed to foreshadow. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Don't forget, while you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, you can check out our live stream. That's on Tuesdays at 6pm London, 1 o'clock New York lunchtime. The IPO video live show. Catch the back episodes on LinkedIn and YouTube as well as Facebook via IPO-vid. Our most recent show kicking off 2023 was an epic ADGM, that's Abu Dhabi Global Markets, building an island of excellence with one of the senior figures there, Simon O'Brien. Really a must-watch, that show. Coming on Tuesday, we're continuing a, a brief Middle Eastern theme. IPO-vid number 90 is going to be all about developing commodity exchanges with Les Mail, the former boss of the Dubai Gold and Commodities Exchange. In product news this week, uh, the Shenzhen Exchange SGX ETF Connect is successfully launched, which is an interesting move. Meanwhile, after Singapore, China is now seeking a piece of Indian markets. At least it's the SAR of Hong Kong, with Hong Kong exchanges relaunching new derivative contracts of benchmark MSCI India Index on January the 16th. Elsewhere, Taiwan Futures Exchange will launch flex options and expand their kill switch during 2023. And in Africa, Ethiopia's ECX is going to start trading minerals during the course of the year. Technology news. Very good, strong start for re-signs and new business. First, they had the DACA renewal. Now, NASDAQ have announced that Bolsa Electronica de Chile have upgraded to NASDAQ Marketplace Services Platform. Elsewhere, the Thai exchanges, they are adjusting their rules before launching their new trading system, which is expected during the course of the first quarter. Regulation news this week. SEBI clamping down on how stock exchange outages must be handled. They're demanding an extension of trading hours and all stock exchanges must inform brokers within 15 minutes in the event of an outage. Equally, SEBI imposed a 2 lakh rupee fine on Multi-Commodity Exchange of India for violating the norms and awarding a software deal to a London firm. This, of course, has been the ongoing farrago in relation to the little-known vendor of London, PESB. 
We've really no idea who they are or were, but they managed to sell a system to MCX, which it seems didn't get delivered properly. And in fact, therefore, well, one might say you could compare their delivery in certain senses to Tata Consultancy services in recent times, who've also had a bit of a cluster mess about delivering to an Indian exchange. Career paths this week. Tradeweb, they confirmed that they've elevated their long-standing COO and president to CEO. Billy Halt takes on the top executive step, while Leoleski has retired as Tradeweb CEO and will now serve as non-executive chairman of the board. Interestingly, just streets away, their deadly rival, Market Access, made an announcement this week. They're promoting Chris Cannon, the, well, rather long-standing COO and president of Market Access, to become chief executive officer. Founding CEO Richard McVeigh is going to become executive chairman, which is a slight twist to the tail and somewhat of shock news from Market Access, or perhaps quasi-predictable given the move that already taken place with their deadly rival Tradeweb, completing their long-trailed move. Thomas Zeeb, he's resigned from his position as a member of the executive board of Six Swiss Exchange after 14 years and will depart at the end of January 2023. Wow, one exciting hire this week, BMLL, the masters of the future of market data. They've appointed Rod Label, former global head of equities at Liquidnet, as their head of Americas. That's a key hire in BMLL's global and US expansion. Finally this week, uh, resignation, David Augustson. All the very, very best to David Augustson. He's announced his departure as a European head of communications at NASDAQ. He's inviting applications to be his replacement via LinkedIn. And I indeed wish David every success in the future. It's been a pleasure to work with him. And that leaves us at Big World, ladies and gentlemen. Well, many, many interesting and rather unfortunate stories this week. One exciting piece of news, not altogether a shock, but nonetheless it's going to very much change the dynamic of the company concerned. Jack Ma has given up control of the financial ant group restructuring, China's largest fintech company, which puts it back on the path for an IPO, with the Alibaba billionaire now out of fintech, and it seems also out of China, having been moving predominantly between Japan and Thailand in recent months. Elsewhere, the Taliban has insisted on girls and women being banned from education, even though it says this is not permanent. Yes, how many people really believe that? Even by the low standards of truth being spoken by governments the world over, it's a pretty grim statement and a damning indictment of Joe Biden's presidential legacy. And then we come to the most worrying of all. Amongst the predictions for 2023 from credible analysts, John Holzman believes the war in Ukraine will continue throughout the year without resolution. It's a very strongly educated piece of analysis. Of course, we must all hope that John Holzman is wrong. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young, builder of marketplaces and exchanges the world over, publisher of Exchange Invest, the daily bourse business newsletter. I wish you all a great week in life, blockchain and markets.
This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.